0: So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece
1: of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by...
0: Adam from Adam Young Golf.
1: This episode of The Sweet Spot is brought to you by our friends at The Indoor Golf Shop. They are the place to go online for setting up a simulator in your home or your business. They've got all the major brands of launch monitors like Foresight, SkyTrack, Unicore, and FlightScope. And they make enclosures, screens, hitting mats, pretty much anything you're going to need for your indoor studio. If you need help, you can give them a call directly, talk to their experts. You can ask for Gerald or Hunter. I know they've helped plenty of other Sweet Spot listeners and they can help you decide what's going to fit in your garage, media room, and basement based on your budget and technology requirements. So thanks for their support, and you can check them out at shopindoorgolf.com. So this week, we are joined by our good friend, Shaheen Nakjavani. What's up, man?
2: How we doing, boys?
1: We're doing all right. Excited to have you back on. Shaheen was... Now a two-time guest on the Sweet Spot, you did an episode on taking golf lessons back in I believe December of 2021, and I've actually referred a ton of people back to that episode because it was it answered like a lot of Q&As about how to work with an instructor effectively. And in case you don't know, Shaheen, we believe I think we can confirm it that you give the most online lessons out of anyone in the golf industry or close to it. How many are you up to this year?
2: Yeah. So I would say I'm top five for sure. I don't know how much I'm better than people these days, just because I've probably scaled back a little bit in the last year or two. But I'm up to 9,000 since 2017. So (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how much that comes out to about 1,800 if you're doing for, for five years. Wow. A year.
1: And you just opened up your academy in Montreal, right?
2: Indeed. Yeah. We just launched in May. Things have been really good. We're up to three coaches now. We got a fitness trainer. Exciting times.
1: That's awesome. Congratulations.
2: Thanks, dude. I would share the congratulations right back to you for your amazing book that you just released.
1: Oh, we're not here to talk about the four foundations of golf. Yes, we are available, we're always available, like available, available on Amazon. All right. Well, let's quick plug. Let's, quick plug. This topic is not in my book because it's beyond my expertise. So I feel like I'm going to be interviewing the two of you. But what are we talking about today? Cue us up here.
2: Yeah. So we put out a tweet asking people about grip and wrist angles. If they have any questions, obviously there's a lot of really old information on the internet that doesn't really hold much merit anymore. I'm sure Adam would be the first to agree with that. And so we're here to just confirm the different ways in which we can hold the golf club, the different ways in which you can kind of move your wrists to be as successful as possible.
1: So why don't we start with what we used to think? What's conventional wisdom on grip technique that you came across and i'll open this up to the the two of you can answer this you know when you guys were first becoming instructors what was the old advice that's around that's probably still around because when someone googles right now i know for a fact if you look up grip technique you're gonna see oh weak grip for you know a fade and or do this for the hook and just kind of plug and play and we have some myths that have been out there forever so why don't we start with those
0: I suppose I'll start with the idea that there is a perfect grip, that there's one textbook grip and anything that veers from it is a mistake, in air quotes, or that requires compensations. I think that's the old way of thinking, whereas most modern instructors think that or know that there are different types of grip that exist or different things that you can do to the grip to change the shot shape that you want or to fit with what your body is doing. Because if you take someone who's, say you take a a tall player who's functional with a non-textbook grip, someone like a Dustin Johnson, and you made their grip textbook, whatever that is, say a Hogan grip, you'd have to change probably 10 or 20 other things in their swing to make that work. And at the end of it, they may not be better. In fact, there's a good chance they wouldn't be better because they're having to completely learn a whole bunch of new mechanics. So... Instructors, I think, now are much more aware of these things and they're less likely to, if they have a functional player, to change a grip just for the sake of doing it. But it's not really old way of thinking because while more instructors are getting well-versed in this stuff, there are still a hell of a lot of pupils out there. I see it every day on my forums, things like, oh, you have to have this grip. And, And so there's still plenty of amateurs out there who still believe that there's one perfect way to grip it. So I'll start with that. Anything else you want to add to that, Shaheen?
2: Yeah, I will say that I'd like to think that golf instruction has come a long way, and I definitely believe it has. At the same time, we have to realize that we're in a little bit of a bubble when it comes to online information. You know, most people who play golf are not on the internet, and they do not see the updated modern forms of instruction that we've been teaching on Instagram, on Twitter, and that we've been sharing on YouTube and whatever. So A lot of people definitely still believe this very outdated style of teaching of like, you need to have a grip that not only is perfectly neutral because too strong is no good and too weak is no good for so-and-so reason, but we need to have the club face match the wrist, which matches the forearm at the top. And if they're anything different than that, you're going to never break 100 for the rest of your life, which we obviously know is not true. And to relate this back to what Adam said, like, You take a guy like Dustin Johnson, if you told him, hey, like change your grip and let's get the club face more square at the top because it looks too shut because your grip is too strong, let's say, right? Someone looks at that and believes that. Well, you have to understand that Dustin Johnson not only has a shut face, but his release pattern matches the style of the club face that he's delivering, right? And so you try to get his club face matching the forearm and making it look like this perfect neutral position he's probably going to hit the ball a mile to the right every single time because he has developed a release pattern that goes with the club face mechanics that he has. So I think that we've gotten to a point where people are looking beyond aesthetics when they're trying to make a swing change. And I'm really happy about that. And I continue to try to push that on the internet and obviously Adam agrees. And, you know, I think that the more modern forms of teaching is slowly leaking into the golf world, but I don't quite believe we're fully there yet, to be honest.
1: So, I know just anecdotally from playing golf for 25 years and tinkering with my grip a million times and settling on the one that I just found out works for me that it's hugely important. I mean, for (laughs) I have a super strong grip if I, I did an experiment with Adam where I went to a weaker grip and it just totally changed my ball flight. It's just a, it's gotta be one of the more important things in setup, if not the most important thing. So can you talk a little bit about you know we'll get into weak strong neutral and perhaps some implications and matchups that work well there but can you talk about what it influences an atom too in terms of what's going on, at impact and ball flight when you make these changes going from maybe a poor grip matchup to a good one like what are the implications of that
2: okay hey, so i'll start it off with a very like simplistic way of explaining it to so that the general audience would understand Anything you do with the club face where you're weakening the grip usually will obviously open the club face for the most part. It would create more loft on the club face when the face angle gets more open because the grip is weaker. So you'll typically see a much higher launch angle. If you're weakening the grip, you'll see a lot more spin on the ball because you're delivering more loft instinctively. You're going to deliver more spin. That's just the way the launch conditions are going to work. Now, there are some players who launch the ball too low with not enough spin, and maybe they hit a lot of balls that are pulling or hooking. Well, weakening the grip might not necessarily be a bad decision for you, even if your, grip, your starting point was neutral. Maybe you go to a weaker grip, and now all of a sudden your ball flight's not only straighter, but you have an appropriate amount of loft on the golf ball. You have an appropriate amount of spin on the golf ball. Well, your grip might not look textbook. It might not feel textbook but it's matching up to the launch conditions that you have. All of a sudden, now we're starting to look at what makes a grip functional for a player. It's very possible that a player weakens their grip, and all of a sudden, now they're launching it too high with too much spin. The clubface is struggling with a consistent tendency of being too open at impact. The golfer is always slicing or flaring the ball or hitting pushes. Well, you know that in that situation... Either number one, there are other things within the swing that need to be changed, or number two, that grip just doesn't work for the player anymore. So you have to understand that there is no such thing as everybody needs to hold the club the exact same way, because my launch conditions are different than yours, John, and they're different than Adam's. So how can we all hold the club the exact same way? Because obviously, if I weaken my grip or if I strengthen it, I'm going to deliver very different results. So I think it's important for people to know
1: that.
0: Adam, your thoughts? I don't even remember the question properly, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll restate it. I mean, I just want people to understand. I think people, a lot of golfers do understand intuitively what happens if they went from like, if let's say they had a weak grip and they went to a strong one, just experimenting. And then what happens with their ball flight? It changes massively. So when you're adjusting a grip the ramifications in ball flight that occur I mean, it sounds like face angles a big one obviously and it's it's, mm. it's changing how you're delivering loft anything to add there in your experience
0: i'd say on the most part if you had 100 golfers and you strengthened their grip position they're going to hit it more left they're going to present a more closed face there are some outliers to that, but on the, in the hundred golfer test, that would be the case and, and vice versa. If you give a player a more weak grip, they would tend to hit it more to the right. When you get a better player in your hand, someone who intuitively understands where the face is, it can be more of a trajectory change. So if, say, for example, you give me a stronger grip. I know that if I just make my normal swing, I'm going to hit it left with this. So intuitively, I will do something weird with the release. So I'll change something with the release to keep that club face square, and I'll end up just hitting it lower. So a stronger grip for me doesn't really make me hit it as much to the left. It just makes me hit it a bit lower and vice versa. With a weaker grip, I'll tend to probably release a little earlier and hit it higher. So... I mean, when we're talking in terms of matchups, we've got to talk in terms of skill matchups as well. Skilled players may respond differently. And we don't have a crystal ball as instructors, but we can use that kind of our experience. And on the hundred golfer test idea, you know, give, you give a hundred golfers X implementation or X intervention and see how they respond. And as I said, Shaheen will know from experience that that'll be the case with a better player as well. So as well as affecting. Direction, face direction is the obvious one. It can affect trajectory, spin rate of the ball, even low point position as well. And you'll often see, you know, a common matchup is a beginner will have a very weak grip, which would tend to, for most players, open the face. After a while, they may learn to match that up with a pivot stall and an early release. And that can get a square club face on the ball. It can. But it's often a very high, weak, wispy, high-spinning ball flight with a low point that's behind. So it's not a very functional matchup. So, yeah, we can get certain impact parameters okay, but affecting other ones. And so as an instructor, we're taking all of this into account and saying, right, well, if I use the grip as a tool and change it this way, I might be affecting low point, thus ground strike, trajectory, spin rate, face direction. And you know what? When I said that matchup earlier of the weaker grip and the earlier release is not good. For some people, that end of the spectrum might be a little bit more optimal. I've had some, say, junior players or lady players mainly, players who may not have a lot of strength, maybe senior players, and they can't get the ball up in the air. They don't have a lot of stopping power. And to have that weaker grip, earlier release... Can sometimes get the ball up a little bit more for them, and then we just maybe shove the ball back in the stands to touch more to get a higher ball flight while still maintaining ground contact. Sorry for that diatribe; I'm going off in loads of different directions.
2: (laughs) Well, actually, I want to feed off that a little bit because I think that's really important to kind of clarify is when we talk about matchups, we're not just talking about matchups of club face angle relative to the ball to hit your target. You know, there's external factors that are involved that you have to make a decision of when it comes to the grip and the loft delivery you're doing at the bottom. You provide an example of juniors and women. Why would juniors and women deliver are better off for the most part having a little bit of a weaker club face, a little bit of a weaker grip with more release? Well, because they're slower speed players. That's really what it boils down to. And slower speed usually means you're not going to kick the ball up in the air as much. You're not going to have as much spin on the golf ball. Because the more speed you deliver, the more spin you deliver, right? And so if I'm a super, super slow swinger of the club, which no disrespect, most older women on average usually are, well, they're not going to be able to get the ball up in the air if they have this strong club face with a lot of shaft ring. That might be great for the Jamie Sadlowskis of the world and these like world long drive guys or people that are faster on average, tour players, for example. But you take an older woman – Well, if she delivers the same impact position that Rory has, maybe she hits it way too low with not enough spin, maybe a weaker grip with more release actually helps her because now she can deliver more loft and kick the ball a little bit up in the air and she actually gains distance and she can stop the ball in the greens better and she actually plays better golf. So there's so much to consider, you know, I try to simplify this as much as possible, but the truth is when it comes to golf, there's just so many details to consider And because we don't all move the same way in terms of speed, in terms of rotation, in terms of body type, we can't necessarily do the exact same things at the golf ball at the bottom at impact. It's just impossible.
1: So here's another, and I'm leading you into the same place probably, but I'm just trying to get people to understand maybe what they've been told isn't the full truth. It's a little more nuanced. Certainly, I think a matchup that a lot of people have been taught is that if you want to hit a fade, you need a weak grip. And if you want to hit a draw, you need a strong grip. And I'm sure that's the case for a ton of golfers. I have a strong grip. I hit a draw. How many exceptions to that rule do you see on your lesson, T? A
2: lot. I, I mean...
1: So give me an example of someone who you want to hit a fade, but you still would want them to have a strong grip. Like, why would that be to buck that trend? Okay, Justin so actually... Johnson.
2: Yeah. I'll relate this in a general sense and then I'll kind of narrow it down for your specific question. What I come across a lot is golfers who get the club face way too strong, which in many cases can come from the grip just very simply being too strong, is they will start to adapt the way they deliver the club back to the ball to not just hit a massive snap hook. So, I have a really shut club face in my golf swing. I'm just saying this in quotations as like an example here. I don't actually, but let's say I do, right? If I have a really, really shut club face in my golf swing, if I release the club at all, that ball's going to want to start left of my target as a right-handed golfer, and it's going to keep going further left. I'm going to hit a massive snap hook. And it's going to likely come out very low because my club face is shut, which means I have less loft. What you'll see with a lot of players is instinctively they want to try to give themselves a chance of hitting their target. What they're going to do to get there is they're not going to think about something technically. They're just going to let their athleticism take over. So they're going to make these subconscious reactionary compensations at the bottom. A lot of times that comes in the form of stalling, tilting back a lot and doing anything in their power to try to deliver more loft and try to start the ball more to the right as a right-handed golfer to give them a chance of hitting their target because they're a natural drawer of the ball. Well, that movement amplifies the draw, but at least it gives them somewhat of a chance of getting the ball to where their intended finish is. You'll see the opposite with golfers who have the club face too open, meaning they will get the club face very open, likely, like Adam said, a lot of beginners, these really, really weak grips, and now they start to really swing over the top of the golf ball. Why do they do that? Well, they do that to try to compress the ball better because the face is open, which is not ideal for compression. So they start to swing across their body to try to start the ball somewhat down their target line and create more compression to land at their target. So now what you're starting to see is a reaction from the body because of poor clubface mechanics and it can get really severe. I hope that makes sense for the general viewer. Your swing is changing because the clubface is really bad because the grip is really bad, really. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's why like as I learn more from guys like you and Adam over the years in my own experience, I'm like club face awareness slash presentation is I I, huge. I I just think it's I mean, we talk about strike a lot, but I think, you know, it's like number one or number two for me because you're describing a situation where if you don't have the right grip matchup, the face angle is not in the right position and then your body is going to contort in all these ways to start the ball in the direction you need it to, but that's not really helping either. You're just putting all these band-aids in the middle of your downswing if what I'm hearing is properly.
0: That's
2: exactly right.
0: You could probably trace 90% or more of all swing faults back to poor club face position throughout the swing at some point. The club face is such a big determinant of what the ball does, especially directionally. And then as Shaheen mentioned, if your ball's going right, 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 instinct tells us to swing left, left, left. And then other things happen. The low point moves forwards as you swing more left. So that's why people then hang on their backside or release earlier to get the low point back. So a bunch of compensations and not incorrect matchups, but less efficient matchups. I mean, if someone's swinging left and slicing the ball every single time onto their target, you can't call that a wrong matchup, but they're going to be losing so much distance that it's not an efficient matchup. You know, they're not going to be able to play tall level golf doing that kind of stuff.
1: Well, I guess your dream scenario is a student who comes to you with like a really bad grip matchup and you're like, yeah, we're just going to strengthen this thing. And voila, the face angle is improved and then their body doesn't contort as much. Is it that simple sometimes?
2: For sure. I mean, I will tell you what, it's its almost crazy to say, but the golfers who hit the ball way offline tend to be a much easier fix than the golfers who don't because <laughs> – I can have a golfer who comes to me and their club face is open, but they're delivering, let's say, a straight path into the ball, but the face is so open that everything is just slicing off the planet. I mean, that is the easiest fix in the world. You get the club face more closed, the club face lines up with more or less the path that the club is coming into the ball. And now they went from a poor ball flight that's not hitting their target to a ball flight that is hitting their target. But what happens when you have a golfer whose club face is, let's say, is very, very shut which is more common, I would say, with the better player on average. And they're swinging very inside out and hanging back on it, like we spoke about in that other scenario, that creates this huge sweeping draw, right? But they can still somewhat hit their target. And I know, John, you're laughing because you probably have some of this in your own golf swing, but...
1: Yeah, it's been five years of neutralizing that problem.
2: (laughs) Right. So the problem is... In a situation like yours, let's say, well, let's say you take a club face that is too strong. And in a lot of cases, it's because the grip can be too strong, right? And they hit this big sweeping draw, But guess what? They're putting some pretty good scores together and they're hitting their target. Well, it's more complicated for a guy like you. Because now if I just tell you, hey, weaken your grip and go play golf, I mean, you're not going to magically start moving your body better. So what's going to happen? The ball is just going to start way right at your target as a righty. And it ain't never coming back. It's just going to turn your big draws that sometimes overdraw, but sometimes hit your target. It's just going to turn every single one of them into a push, a block, a push that doesn't come back, that keeps curving to the right. It'll be a nightmare. So the problem with a good player, just to finish this idea, is that you require more than one adjustment now. Because not only do you have to prevent the club face from being so shut – but you also need to get your body moving differently to prevent the path from getting so inside out as well. Right? So, a bad yeah. golfer is really easy. You make one change and he hits his target. But a good golfer who's got a reaction to the bad thing that he created earlier requires two changes at the same time. That's where it can get a little more complex. Now, thankfully, you guys have more awareness. So, it's not always that complicated, but it does require more than one adjustment.
1: Well, it gets back to our other conversation where we were talking about swing changes and lessons and what the the beginner to intermediate player has less to lose versus the more advanced player. So I would agree with that. If someone is comfortable with a certain grip technique and it's gotten to a fairly high level of golf, I mean, that's like your identity slash DNA. Like if I went to a weak grip or if someone who has got pretty good with a weak grip went to a strong grip, it feels like I'm playing an entirely different game. It's crazy to me. That's why like, I don't take the stuff lightly. So do we want to talk about like, weak, neutral, and strong and maybe like what those, I mean, let's just define them for people so we're all on the same page and maybe like what are some good matchups? You know, we talked a little bit about wrist angles earlier. Sometimes that gets confusing to people to hear like flexion and cupped wrists and stuff like that. But do you want to do some like brief definitions just to make sure everyone's on the same page and what could be the pros and cons of each?
2: Sure. So weaker grip, usually as a right-handed golfer, that means the hands are more rotated to the left. A simplistic way to think about this, if you're a different dexterity, is it's more rotated towards your lead side. Usually, the more rotated in that direction it'll be, the weaker the grip gets. A lot of times, to feel comfortable, it'll sit more in the palm of the hand of the glove hand for the golfer. Usually, that will make the club face a lot easier to be open, a lot harder to be closed. Not impossible, just harder. Neutral grip obviously just means that you're very in the middle of the two extremes, meaning your hands are not rotated too far towards lead side. They're not rotated too far towards the trail side. They're kind of right in the middle of those two extremes. You know, you can talk about like the lines between the index finger and the thumb and where they point. I just like to give it a more general idea when you're talking about a strong grip, it's obviously the opposite of the weaker side. So the more the hands are rotated towards the trail side, As a right handed golfer like myself, that would mean my right hand is very underneath the club. That would mean my left hand is very on top of the club. That would mean that the club more often than not will set or rest more in the fingers of my hands, not so much in the palms. Usually that will influence a stronger grip, which makes it easier to get the club face closed, harder to get it open. That doesn't mean that you'll, hey, you strengthen your grip and your club face will never be open. It just means it makes it harder to do so. I always like to talk about things in terms of direction. You strengthen your grip. Your club face gets easier to close. This doesn't make it a guarantee that it will be closed. You can think, grip the club super strong and open the face up if your wrists are moving that poorly or your forms are moving that poorly. It's not a guarantee. It just influences it in that direction.
1: Here's a question for you that I don't know the answer to. I'm kind of curious to hear. So the hand that is connected to the club. So for a right-handed player, I know that my left hand is pretty strong, like super strong. My right hand is actually, I would say, going in the opposite direction, probably towards my lead shoulder a bit. So maybe I have a weaker right hand. Like That's just something I settled on randomly. But I think a lot of people get confused about that because of the second hand that's on top of it, the trail Mm -hmm. hand. Like, How does that play into it? Do they always have to be going in the same direction or could they be kind of going in different directions?
2: They could definitely be going in different directions. And I think there's countless examples of that on tour. I mean, I would say that if you look at a guy like Rory, for example, he tends to have his lead hand be slightly stronger than his trail hand. Trail hand looks to be a little bit more neutral, slightly, if anything, even marginally on the weaker side. Lead hand is obviously a lot more strong, and obviously that means that his lead wrist is going to be a lot more cupped. That doesn't necessarily mean that, hey, his club face is going to be shut. He's got a strong lead hand grip, but because of how his wrists work and because his trail hand is not as strong, he actually doesn't have the strongest club facing his golf swing at the top or coming down. There are countless examples of this on tour. So again, it's kind of an outdated form of instruction where you have this idea that every grip needs to match each other. Every hand needs to match each other. And if the two hands are different grip strength, it's impossible to play good golf. Well, that's clearly not the case.
1: Okay. So let's talk about weak grips for a second. Yeah. If someone's experimenting on their own, because let's face it, a lot of golfers are. Let's say they're not going to Adam or you for help, and they're just kind of messing around on the range. They're, I would say
2: most golfers are experimenting Yeah, we know it. It's about
1: 80 to 90% of golfers are not taking lessons. So they're kind of like yeah. me, probably at some point. I was messing around on the range. I'm like, oh, the strong grip's really working for me. I'm going to stick with it. In terms of the weak grip, I know there are no right answers, but what are some scenarios where you think that is the appropriate path for the golfer in terms of matchups they see in their ball flight or club face presentation? Like what would be a good choice for a weak grip?
2: Okay. So I'll try to relate this to different examples because I think that it would be helpful for people to hear more than one scenario in which these would help. Absolutely. If the path of the club or the movement of the club is pretty good in the golf swing, let's say the golfer needed to get the club face more closed. If the path of the club is pretty good, I would likely go more towards a stronger grip as opposed to changing wrist mechanics because wrist mechanics will have a bigger influence on the movement of the club. It doesn't mean that the grip won't. Of course it will, but it wouldn't have as big of an effect as changing the way the wrist moves in the golf swing. If a player needs to weaken the club face, it's just as complicated, but I would likely weaken the grip in more scenarios. And I'll explain why. If I need to weaken the club face for a golfer who's hitting snap hooks, if I tell them to try to roll their wrist into a cuffed position, which basically means for the listeners the knuckles of the hand hinging above the forearm. So if I try to roll this club face open if I'm hitting snap hooks, The problem is I'm going to change the wrist so much to make sure the club face isn't as closed that I might just start to come down really steep on the ball and I can create a lot of problems in other areas. It'll really mess up too many different areas of the golf swing. So the odds are that changing just the grip a little bit weaker will have less of a ripple effect into the other variables where I can still get the club face not as closed without altering too much of the swing mechanics. Again, of course, it'll have a little bit of a change in other areas, but changing the grip won't affect it as much as changing just the wrists themselves, which will really alter other details. So it can be really complicated, but we have to understand that changing the clubface open versus changing the clubface closed, you have to consider other things because it's not just as simple as the clubface itself. If the path is really good, then just change your grip. Let's try to keep it as dumbed down and simple as possible. Mm -hmm. If the path is not as good then you have to consider maybe I can alter the path as well by changing the wrist mechanics. And then obviously it gets more complex and we would have to look into that in more detail.
1: Sure. Adam, what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, in terms of the wrist mechanics and altering other variables, a weaker grip tends to open the face. However, if you match that up with more lead wrist flexion in the downswing, that will tend to close the face. So those can kind of match up quite well. So someone like a Spieth would do that. And that option, that set of options, a weaker grip and more lead wrist flexion, would tend to lower the ball flight as well and move the low point farther forwards than neutral or than the second example. So the second example would be someone who uses a weak grip, which would make the face more to the right, and they use an earlier release down at the bottom. So where, that say, the club shaft crosses over the lead forearm. I mean, we can go endlessly into radio, deviation, (laughs) supination, but in terms of just call it early release, that option can work as well because an earlier release tends to close the face. So weak grip opening the face, earlier release closing the face can work, but that tends to produce a higher ball flight. So I might change these combinations depending on what scenario is in front of me. If I'm hitting a punch shot under the wind, I might feel a little bit more flexion and a later release. Whereas if I'm trying to hit a really high trajectory that lands and stops quicker, I might use a weaker grip and feel an earlier release. And both those will hit straight shots, but they'll have different trajectories to them.
1: This is where I get confused a little bit. So I know it sounds like Your grip technique can influence wrist angles, but from listening to you both correctly, you also have the option of keeping the same grip technique, but altering the angle of the wrists at the top of your swing to kind of influence the clubface presentation. They're two separate things, but one can influence the other. Can you maybe explore that a little bit just because... Oh God, I'm probably opening up another can of worms here, aren't I? But it's something that I don't think about these things while I swing, but I know some people do. So can you explore that a little bit more, like the separation between the grip and wrist angles?
0: I'll preface this by going through that grip and wrist angles are two things that change the club face. We have more variables. So while we have the grip, number one, we have the starting position of the club face as well. Some players start with it a little bit more open or closed, and maybe we'll leave that for later on. But we have the supination, so the rotation of the forearm as well, and then we have flexion extension. Those are the biggies that are going to change the club face position. And there are many different combinations of those, and it's not like there's one functional combination. As we said, there are many different ones that work. They will just have other influences on other impact variables like shaft lean or loft that we deliver or low point position which will then have influence on the trajectory we hit and the spin. So when we talk about grip and wrist angles there's quite a few different combinations that will work here.
1: We don't have to go into all of them I just wanted to establish that they are two separate things and it sounds like the grip can influence wrist angles but it doesn't necessarily have to. Is that a Yeah, fair it's statement? not just
0: grip and flexion extension.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, so the way that I would go through a change would, of course, depend on how the golfer is delivering the club back to the ball. If he can afford to deliver less loft or more loft, I might go through a grip change as opposed to a wrist mechanic change. If I think that we just want to change ball flight but not change club face, then you can change both grip and wrist angles. There's so many different combinations involved But that's where understanding the player's launch conditions can become really important because if I, as someone who gives obviously a lot of online lessons, sees a golf swing on camera, but I have no understanding of what his typical tendencies are, if he has a preference of hitting it higher or lower, or if he struggles with a spin rate issue or whatever, well, I can give him advice, but it's advice that really is not fully completed because... I don't have all the facts. And that's why we always tell people, like, it's really important to have an understanding of where you're hitting the golf ball. Are you struggling with certain clubs in terms of height? Because I might go a different route with your grip and your wrist angles than I would have gone otherwise if you're somebody who doesn't hit the ball as high or doesn't hit the ball with enough spin or whatever. It really is opening up a can of worms. But Adam kind of nailed it on the head. There's so many different ways to alter the club face. The grip and the wrist angles are obviously the two biggies that everybody talks about. But the amount of release you have, the amount of forearm rotation you have through the ball, these are all details that also will affect it. And if your body can't move great, then I might have to change that. If your body can move better, then maybe I can deliver a different type of release pattern to you.
1: What do you think about players altering their grip technique for certain scenarios on the golf course? I'll give you two examples of something I've been experimenting with obviously someone like me, I struggle with getting enough loft on the club sometimes, particularly with long irons and hybrids and a fairway wood. So I've actually have a five wood where I've weakened my left hand grip a touch where it's actually neutral. And I've noticed that helps me get the ball more into the air without really sacrificing too much accuracy. And that's just like a little change that I've introduced. Another one that I've been thinking of is short game. I also (laughs) struggle with de-lofting not using the bounce do you think some people like adding a weaker grip on short game or certain scenarios on the course are you an advocate for that or just keeping it the same because i mean i prefer consistency overall in the golf swing but i wonder if you have certain players who you will say like hey if you're hitting a bunker shot i want you to weaken that grip or something like that we are going to take a quick break there and we will be right back What's up, Sweet Spot listeners? I am super excited to introduce a new brand we're working with, Gooder Sunglasses. I pretty much do not go outside without sunglasses on, and I definitely wear them all the time on the golf course, so it's a really important product for me. Gooder makes $25 active sunglasses that are lightweight, comfortable, and do not move while you swing. When I first got them, I was shocked at the quality. There's no way you would know they were $25 if someone just put them in your hands, Their golf sunglasses have HD contrast so you'll see clearly when you're on the golf course and you don't have to worry about losing them because they don't have a hefty price tag. They have a wide variety of designs and colors that should suit just about any style you're looking for, whether it's for golf or elsewhere in your life. All Gooder sunglasses are 100% UV protective and have polarized lenses. You'll also get a one-year warranty and a 30-day window to return them for free if you don't like them. If you want to try out a pair or two, we've arranged an exclusive discount for Sweet Spot listeners. Go to goodr.com forward slash Sweet Spot and use promo code Sweet Spot at checkout and you'll receive 15% off your entire order. That's www.goodr.com forward slash Sweet Spot and make sure to use promo code Sweet Spot at checkout for your 15% discount. We have an exclusive offer on one of my favorite golf shoe brands, True Lynxwear. They just released their new Lux G Shoes, which is their first big release of 2024, and it is packed with a ton of features. The Lux G is available in both men's and women's models, and it combines tour-level performance with a new fit and feel. You'll get the comfort that True Linkswear is known for with their Wonder Luxe midsole for a supportive yet comfortable ride. The Luxe G is also fully waterproof with a two year warranty, and they have designed it with their padded heel lock system to ensure stability throughout the entire golf swing. But they didn't stop there. True Linkswear always pays attention to the small details. There's padding on the back to prevent rubbing against your foot an antimicrobial comfort insole, and the Lux G's come in multiple colors. Sweet Spot listeners can get 15% off Deluxe G shoes by visiting truelinkswear.com and using promo code Spot. Once again, that's truelinkswear.com and use promo code Spot. that's one word, to get 15% off their new Lux G shoes.
2: Really easy question because... Almost every single golfer who plays at a high level that I've ever worked with usually is not consistent at all when it comes to grip from full swing to short game. You almost have to treat them as two completely different entities. They're two different worlds. With the full swing, we're trying to create shaft lean. We're trying to create compression. We're trying to close the face. We're trying to use the leading edge into the ground and hit down on it. We're not trying to do any of those things for the short game in a large majority of scenarios. Obviously, you can in a very specific context, but for the most part, you're not going to. So you have to treat them as two different areas of the game. So believe it or not, like, I don't believe it's important to be consistent with your grip on full swing and short game. In fact, I would rather that the average golfer has a weaker grip in the short game so that they can get the toe a little bit more up, they can release the hands a little more, they can get a little more bounce and glide the sole across the ground a lot easier without digging. You know, you see so many scenarios of these golfers who have like, Open alignment, hands way forward, ball position way back. Super strong grip on their chipping. The face is so closed; they need to deliver so much shafting to not hit a pull. And then it's like they dig, they struggle with low point issues, or even if they hit it solid, they're turning their sandwich into a seven iron, and the ball rolls across the green. And then they wonder why they can't stop it. The best players in the world are able to stop the ball quicker. You can't do that if you have too much shafting and too strong of a club face. So believe it or not. Like having a weaker grip, if you're trying to use the bounce and get a little more loft on it and get the ball to last softer, including in the bunker, I'm all for it. Like it really doesn't bother me whatsoever. I think that that's fine. Now, if you're going to relate that to like full swing and you're saying, hey, I'm hitting a driver and I'm snap hooking it and I want to weaken my grip. I'm hitting the sand wedge and I hit it good. I don't want to weaken my grip. I find that's where it can get a little problematic because in my experience, golfers will tend to leak one area of their game into the other for full swings. Meaning, if you do that method long enough, John, for you, it's very possible that your grip starts to weaken for the rest of your bag over time because you don't realize it. Yep. Or in the case of the five wood, because it's one club versus thirteen, let's say, or versus twelve without the putter, like it's possible that your grip always goes stronger again because you're so used to using a stronger grip with other clubs that it'll continue to fight you like mentally and physically. So. I find it's harder to be consistent if we're talking stock full swings through the bag. That's where I prefer the grip to be more consistent. Maybe just go to a weaker grip through the bag and then learn to manage that with some other changes, as opposed to full swing and short game where they are two completely different worlds.
1: That's a relief that you said that about the short game, (laughs) because I think I need to go in that direction because everything that helps me in the long game is hurting me in the short game. So that's something I need to consider. Adam, what's your
0: philosophy on that? Is it similar? Yeah, I agree with Shaheen that for the majority of people, it's easier when you're keeping throughout the bag a consistent grip. When you get to more advanced players, you know, you're looking at their level of understanding as well. And obviously, John, your level of understanding is very high. Mine is, Shaheen's is as well. So I can compartmentalize different clubs even into different things. So you found that with your five-wood club, you probably want to use that to hit. Par fives and two, so you need a high trajectory for that. So you've figured out that weakening your grip can help with that. So you have that individual club that has its own specific grip. I'm the same as well, you know, with my driver. I see that as, as separate to the rest of my bag as a putting swing is. So when I have a driver, I have a completely different setup. The ball's farther forwards, my body's tilted back. I'm trying to hit up 5, 10 degrees on it sometimes. And so I have a very different grip with that. I have a much stronger grip with my driver. That tends to, for me, match up well. Whereas when I have irons, I'm in a different set of position. I have a much more what could be considered neutral grip position. But those are just different, really separate entities in my head. So you know, I'd be cautious to do that with a lot of players separating out those different clubs too much unless I get a high-level player with good understanding like yourself.
1: There were some questions on Twitter about... Interlock and overlap. I, for the life of me, I'm an interlock player. I've tried overlap just for fun. I literally don't know how people can swing a golf club that way. And I know tons of great players have done it. Anything there that's significant or you just kind of defer to what the player is comfortable with? Is there one that's you recommend more or is it just a personal thing?
2: I would say when it comes to, and I relate this back to the juniors and the women, when it comes to that part of the game, I do treat them very differently because swing speed is very different. A lot of times they don't have the same muscle mass or strength as somebody who's older or who's more male dominant, right? So they usually have an easier time hanging the club if they're a little bit more almost of a baseball grip like a stacked one hand on top of the other or an overlap if they would prefer to have some extra stability within the wrists working together. When it comes to players who swing the club a little faster, have a little bit more strength, unless it's actually creating some sort of like pulling effect where they're creating an injury to themselves. I really don't care what type they have for the most part. Obviously you have certain limitations. Like if I interlock my grip, weakening the grip a lot can get very uncomfortable because it pulls on the finger on the pinky joint a lot. So you have to take that into consideration. So there are some areas where you might need to have more context. But for the most part, I'm not super, super concerned with it unless it's a specific type of player.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm kind of on, on an individual basis. If something feels comfortable to someone, generally, I'll be okay with that. Obviously, what I don't like to see is something way out of, out of left field, which is like a huge split grip because that's going to affect... When your right hand is more separate from the left your right hand becomes a lot more dominant in the swing for a lot of people. And from a physics perspective, it can actually slow the motion of the club head. I mean, if you don't believe me, go out and really split your grip like a hockey player and try and make a swing as fast as you can, you won't be able to. Whereas when you slide your hands together, you'll be able to make a faster club head speed. That has to do with some complex physics that we'll get Sasho on for and how the right hand can actually slow down the speed of the club. But again, also I found that when... I mean, speaking anecdotally, when my right hand is more separate from my left, I feel like I can twist the club more, you know, twist the club closed more and open it more. And that might hurt me because it's it's more of something that's controlled by me, my hand and my muscles rather than just the swinging action and the natural physics. I know that's not (laughs) a proper term, but the natural physics, the natural release of the club, which I would consider more consistent. So, I like to see players have their hands together to some extent, which is a really basic thing, really. But, you know, in an extreme example, like Jim Furyk, he had a double overlap, right? His hands were so together, they were basically almost on top of each other.
2: I'm pretty sure Jordan had that, too, at some point.
0: Oh, did he? I didn't realize that. But I've tried that. And I like it. I can create a decent amount of speed with it. I tend to create less loft with it as well. Uh, And it really takes my right hand out of the picture. So, it's it's almost like a pure swinging action. It's like you're swinging with one hand. But yeah, because I I don't have my right hand on the club fully with a double overlap, it's harder to then release it like this because you don't have the leverage, the, the ability to talk the club. And so, yeah, you can tend to produce a lower flight with that. So, yeah, that's a, a, just another look at it, just not in terms of how you, whether you interlock, overlap or baseball grip, but how split the the hands are as well can, can affect certain variables. But again, for the most part, as long as they're together, I would go with whatever feels comfortable as long as it's not producing injury for someone.
1: Yeah, I know some people, I think my dad, for example, was having a lot of hand pain for years when he took up golf and he had to go from an interlock to an overlap just to kind of relieve some of that pressure. So there's some people who deal with stuff like that. Another question that came up on Twitter that I think is incredibly important, but the problem is, is you can't measure it. And it's incredibly subjective is grip pressure. So how, you know, tight or loosely you're gripping the club. And in my experience, I've always been a believer that tension is like the killer of the golf swing and like athleticism. That's not to say that some golfers can play well with squeezing the hell out of the club, but I see a lot of players who are just so tense in all their bodies and it really starts with the grip. What are your thoughts on grip tension? If you have any, I know there's not no right answer for anyone, but just something that's come up in the lesson tee.
2: I'll start this off by saying I absolutely despise the analogy of holding the club like a baby bird.
1: Well, yeah, that's the other extreme of the, of it. <laughs> this is like the
2: ongoing theme of every single higher handicap who comes to see me is that's the first yeah. thing they're telling me. And then it's like, you lose so much control because you're so afraid of gripping the club at all yeah. <laughs> that you either swing super tentatively and defensively, or you have no club speed because you have no real control over the actual grip. Right. So I think that extremes are no good. I mean, it's no different to be honest to me as anything else within the golf swing. Everybody talks about shallowing the shaft. I talk about it all the time. I think it's great. Do I think it's like you need only that and nothing else? Of course not. I think that too much of it is no good. I think grip pressure is very much the same. You know, if you're gripping it way too loose, try swinging a club at 120 miles an hour with a loose grip that feels not so tight in your hands and tell me how much control you're going to have at the bottom of the swing. I think it's going to be very difficult to some degree. So I think there's an acceptable range. I think that anywhere from, let's say, like a five on 10 to a seven, almost even pushing eight on 10, is very good. You know, there are some players who can get away with holding it a little bit tighter. There's some golfers who can get away with holding it a little bit looser. I almost would argue that I see more golfers who hold it too loosely than too tightly because of all these old anecdotes that they've seen on YouTube about not gripping it so tight that they go so extreme with it, to be honest. Yeah, that's a
1: fair point. I think one thing that I've noticed, and this is more about grip pressure consistency, is that sometimes throughout a round, especially if you're more nervous, things can change. And I've had to sometimes make it a part of my routine to like check in on your grip pressure. Because again, I agree with you, there's no right answer for golfers. But if you're going from like, very loose at the beginning of your round to like strangling the club, like I feel like that lack of consistency might be an issue. So it's something that I do check in on throughout my round, especially if I'm like perhaps feeling more nervous. Again, it's such a strange concept because like you'd have to literally, maybe Sasha could do this, invent some type of device that could measure how strongly or, or weakly you're actually gripping the club and establish some consistency there. Do they have them?
0: There are studies on it. I think the paper by Koik, I'm probably mispronouncing it. But yeah, they have instrumented grips that can measure different forces throughout the handle. I'm sure the intelligent guys like Sasho can actually pass out what the golfer is doing versus, you know, what the club momentum is doing, sure. and things like that. So it can get really complicated for sure and way beyond my level of understanding. But I mean, on the topic of, of, tighter or more relaxed grips it was interesting there was a good debate on the golf teaching forum a few months ago it was based on an article that was written and there were lots of tips from some long drive champions and in some of them the guy said i grip it as light as a baby bird they said i grip it barely anything at all and then there are other guys on there who can hit it just as far and they're saying i give it the death grip and then bryson came out and said i grip it as hard as i can when i'm swinging this 100 100- 30 mile an hour or however fast he swings it, 150, right? I'm gripping as tight as I can. And so, I mean, it's, it's a really difficult one because on the one end of the scale, you have to grip it relatively tight to withstand the forces to stop that club from flying out of your hands. If your unconscious senses that it's gonna fly out of your hands, you're not gonna be able to swing the club very fast. But on the other side of the scale, you need to have relatively relaxed forearms to be able to swish through.
1: That's where I feel it. Like it's the you're gripping it tightly enough to control the club, especially the presentation of the club face. But at the same time, I'm pointing to this and no one's ever going to see it. But that tension in the forearms and your biceps and your chest, like I also believe that's not good either for the golf swing. Like that can be detrimental to to a lot of players. Yeah. So it's like they're two opposing forces almost.
0: And that also goes into relativity as well. I think there is a correlation between swing speed and grip strength. Yeah. So people automatically think, okay, well, if stronger grippers can swing it faster, then if you grip it tighter, that's probably going to make you swing it faster. And for some people, that might be true. There's also relativity. Someone who has, I don't, I've never even done a dynamometer for grip strength, but someone who has, say, 200 kilograms of grip strength, Versus someone who only has 30 kilograms of grip strength. Well, their 10 out of 10 or their 7 out of 10 yeah, might be yeah. completely different, right? Exactly. It's like, it's like when pros say, Oh, yeah, swing it easy in the breezy. It's like, well, yeah, your swinging easy is 120 <laughs> mile an hour. My swinging easy is 30. So it's, you have to think about relativity as well. The way around all of this complexity is I would test it with players. I've actually gone through the gamut and I say to, say to players, okay, give me, A 10 out of 10 grip strength and hit a few balls. Now give me a 7 out of 10. Now give me a 3 out of 10. And we actually have a look. Do they pick up speed with one of them? What's the consistency level as well with their outcomes? You can measure it in terms of strokes gained. You can look at, you know, the standard deviation away from the target, and we can predict which one would perform better for that player. There's just a kind of N equals 1 test. And so I've done that on myself, and I found that when I grip it very lightly... I do actually pick up speed for me. I feel like I can have a bit more whip and I can pick up up to five mile an hour speed. But my direction is also a little off. I hit more big offline shots. And when I grip it very tight, I lose a lot of speed. And I just, I don't feel like I can contact the ground effectively. So I've settled on, say, a six, five, six out of 10 for me, you know, and obviously that's relative, but...
1: I agree with you. It's completely relative from one player to another, but I think it's something to be conscious of and aware of. Another thing I also tell people is every time I get my grips redone, I'm reminded of this. If you play with worn out grips, your grip yeah. pressure will change over time. If they're more mm-hmm. worn out, you are going to be gripping that club tighter to create the same amount of you know traction on the grip more likely. So every time I regrip my clubs, I'm reminded of that, but it's expensive and I know why people kind of let it go for a while.
0: I'd say to your point that the consistency of grip pressure, I would say, is is a good thing. You don't want to be changing it all the time, and different people respond differently as well. The old adage is that if you grip it tighter, you're going to tend to miss more right. If you grip it looser, you're going to tend to miss more left. I've seen opposite of that as well. So again, it's something you'd have to test yourself, but try and keep it uh, consistent. Unless if if you're in a situation like me, I have two different grip pressures. I have my standard one that I keep for 99% of my shots. And then I have my, if I really need to get an extra 20 yards or if I'm just, you know, doing a long drive competition, I have that really loose grip, which for me works well.
1: All right. I'm trying to go through some of the questions we have here on Twitter. Shaheen, if you have a thought, you can jump in or else I'm going to... Here's a question actually from Woody Lashin. Do you have any thoughts on larger grips allowing the player to release more and your thoughts on like we've mentioned Bryson before he plays the jumbo max grips now have you noticed anything in terms of like the size of the grips affecting technique or anything like that or is it something that you just haven't experimented with much
2: well I'll say this I think the idea that changing your size to guarantee your release chain I think it's a bunch of nonsense to be honest You know, look, if your grip size is incorrect, and let's say it's too small, you wouldn't be able to wrap your fingers around the club very comfortably the same way. You might feel some looseness. You might not feel very stable. I can certainly understand how changing grip size would help you to place your hands on the club appropriately for your matchup. So you might struggle with a certain grip type if the the grip size is not correct for the not only your hand size, but also for your grip type. But this idea that I make my grips bigger and my release pattern slows down for everyone and, hey, bigger grips equals more open club face. I think it's nonsense.
1: Well, there you have it, Woody. There's your answer. <laughs> Adam, do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs>
0: No, I've seen bigger grips kind of change different wrist angles and consciously for people. But uh, I think didn't Ping do a study on whether it changed direction? I can't remember exactly what they said. I'll be honest, it's not something I focused on a lot. I probably need to do more research into that.
1: Fair enough. In terms of like experimentation and practice, because we're always trying to give golfers ideas of what they can do on their own. Is there anything else that you've found to be helpful? Because again, I don't want to send people down the rabbit hole and then they're hitting 10 shots with a weak grip and then 10 with a neutral and 10 with a strong. Are there any types of best practices or experimental things you would tell players to do on the practice range with grip technique? I feel like a lot of players eventually just settle into something that feels natural to them but sometimes that's just not right. So again, I'm probably giving you an impossible question, but any thoughts there?
2: I mean, yes and no, I guess. you know To start, I would say that if ever you're going to do anything different on the driving range, I think my biggest piece of advice I always tell students is get a video reference of what you're doing because I think that video is super important because you can feel like you're doing something and you're either not doing it or overdoing it more than you think you are. So Being able to quantify it beyond just what you feel internally, I think is super important to justify a change you're making. Number two, at the end of the day, if you're not able to take a lesson with someone, either online or in person, and you don't necessarily know what you're looking at on video, then all you can refer to is the ball flight. So if you're weakening your grip and your ball flight is getting better and your contact's getting better then don't overcomplicate things. Just run with the grip type that you've changed. If you're strengthening the grip and it's getting worse and now every ball is going more left than you wanted as a righty, and it's like you're snap hooking everything, don't try to change seven things to make the stronger grip work. Just don't grip it stronger. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Obviously, there's more subjectivity than that, but if you're not able to take a lesson and you don't know what you're looking at on video, I would say the best way to relate it is just base it on your contact and your ball fight. If it's better, run with it. If it's not, don't. I mean, it's that simple,
1: yeah. I mean, that's how I settled on a super strong grip. I just like kept going more and more to the right with my left hand. I'm like, I'm I feel like I'm hitting the ball great, solid contact that's going farther. Awesome, this is great. I'm gonna stick with this, and I haven't changed it in years. But again, that it's not that hey, simple. I, I saw that
2: your handicap was a plus two point something. I mean, it's clearly getting better, isn't it? Even with your strong grip,
1: yeah. It's probably makes me a not so great wedge player. That's why I've been thinking about. I was experimenting with like a super weak grip in my backyard and it was, I could feel it. I think for me, it allowed me to let that trail hand kind of pass finally instead of shaft leaning so much. So that's something I might work on because my green side wedge play can definitely improve, but it's something that's helped me tremendously in the long game. And it's part of like my swing DNA now. So I do not want to change that considerably, but I do know it's important. Like, me and Adam did that experiment over a year ago where he had me hit a bunch of balls with a weak grip and it totally changed my spin rate, loft presentation, ball flight. So it's a really, really important topic. But like, I think what you guys have shown in this episode is that there is no right answer for everyone. And it it is a bit complicated. But again, what I always say is pay attention to that feedback and that's your guiding light,
0: right? I think of experimentation in terms of both right and left hand, they they can move a little independently. Obviously, you don't want huge different discrepancies between both hands. But, you know, if I'm trying to change my ball flight just by a little bit, I just want to tweak and calibrate it. I usually do a right hand change. So say I'm going a little left and I just want to weaken off the face a little. I just put the right hand a bit more on top and vice versa. If my balls flaring out to the right, I'll probably put my right hand a little bit more under. However, if the ball flight is very off, if it's like 30, 40 yards offline, I'm more likely to go with a left-hand change. So I see the left hand as like the bigger... I call it the sledgehammer, the left hand is really smashing into a new pattern, whereas the right hand is more the surgeon for me. So I'm doing fine surgery, fine calibrations with the right hand. And I found that to be true with most players as well. When we're just trying to tweak a degree or so, it's a right hand change, whereas when we're trying to make a bigger change, we might do it with the left hand or both hands.
1: So... We didn't talk about neutral grips that much and just popping up in my head because it's like neutral and it's in between the two. In what situation would you have that just like kind of classic thumbs going down the middle of the club fade? Like when does neutral, when is that more helpful? Just kind of being in the middle and not veering to one extreme or the other.
2: Okay. So I always like to make changes for a player. Based on the direction, we're taking a swing change and not in terms of a position. So what that basically means is if the player's grip is stronger and we need to weaken it, there's some trial and error involved of understanding where is the point in which it becomes more acceptable for that player. If it stops at a neutral position, great. If it needs to be weakened even further and it goes towards a weaker position, great. But I will never tell someone as an open canvas when they set up to the ball, hey, take a grip, it needs to be neutral or else. What I will do is I will see where their starting point is and I will move it towards a position that needs to be functional. If it happens to stop in a position that is considered square or neutral for the golf industry, so be it. But I don't see grip as three different positions of strong, neutral, and weak. You have to see grip as 2,000 different positions. And uh, what direction are we stopping that grip? That just depends on how far they need to go with the change they're making. That's why I think people look at grip almost too simplistically of like, oh, it's it's either neutral or it points the two V lines at the right shoulder or points the two V lines at the left shoulder. It's like, no, there, there's a 1,000 positions between those shoulders in which you can point the grip it's not just one two and three it's one two three four five and so on so you have to look at a grip change in terms of how far directionally you need to go with it and not so basic in terms of here's grip type one here's grip type two here's grip type three and if you don't fall into those three categories well you're never breaking 100 like it's just that's just not the way it works
1: yeah it's a spectrum like anything else in golf right you're just but i kind of agree with that i think it's such a shock for someone to go quote unquote very strong to very weak. So maybe stop somewhere in between and see how that goes <laughs> and then go from there. I think that's pretty good advice. Adam, you have a thought there?
0: The grip is a tool. It's a tool to influence impact parameters and you can shift it more on one end of the spectrum, more on the other. But there's not, there's not a perfect position that needs to be achieved within that. I don't even... If you ask me what neutral is, I'd probably have to make up something on the spot. I see grips on the stronger end of the spectrum or weaker end of the spectrum, but I couldn't give you a specific answer for what neutral is because I don't think in terms of I'm not trying to achieve that. <laughs> I'm just trying to nudge a player more one way or the other.
1: That's why I asked you guys initially because, like, I feel when we were talking about the trail hand, what it's doing. I feel like my hands are going in opposite directions when I grip the. I think you said Rory McIlroy might do it also, whereas my trail hand is rotating to the left and my lead hand is rotating to the right and a stronger, quote unquote stronger yeah there's just no right answer it's just kind of but it has such influence that it is important to i potentially experiment with and see how it affects your ball flight i think we've covered most of the twitter questions do you have any other big thoughts on grip that we have not covered here Shaheen?
2: Not anything that wouldn't require an entire 60 minute episode. Well,
1: yeah, that's the difficulty of this is that, you know, we're talking to each other on video now and (laughs) you're not going to hear this on the podcast. You're you're seeing all these positions. It is a difficult topic to cover in audio format. I hope we haven't confused a ton of people. But my hope was that because I know a lot of golfers are searching for this information On Google or YouTube, and they do come across those cookie cutter articles or videos that say, oh, just do this, this, and this, and you're all set with grip. And there is a lot more to it. It's very personal, and it has a massive influence on clubface presentation, which I think is the biggest problem it can solve or create. It's just, it's it's a really big deal.
0: I think you can give a a general rule that would work for, for the majority of people. If you turn your hands more to the right on the grip, the ball will go more left and vice versa. But you just have to be aware of how that's affecting other variables, other impact variables. And so there's more to it than just club face direction as well.
2: That's basically the simplest and best way we can sum it up, to be honest.
1: Yeah, and that club face presentation and how it matches up with your path, and that's just going to completely change the curvature, start direction, and then the trajectory and spin rate and all that other good stuff. So, <laughs> well,
2: here to add kind of to what Adam said, like, you know how he mentioned, oh, if I strengthen my grip, I wouldn't necessarily miss it more left, but I would deliver less loft at the bottom. Obviously, his awareness is a lot better to do that. So, when you're considering a swing change, don't consider the possible reactions you would have even if your awareness is better think of things as an isolated event if i strengthen my grip and nothing else in my swing changes meaning i deliver the exact same release pattern now assuming my awareness is a big fat zero the ball will go more left now obviously better players have more awareness so it's not as simple as that but look at it that simple and then Look at it more, you know, specifically for a player who has better awareness because they're able to change other variables at the same time, like obviously Adam is able to do.
0: Yeah, when I'm coaching someone, I think in terms of the 100 golfer test, if I give it to a 100 golfers, what's the chance of it changing certain variables? I also think if I give it to a robot as well. So, for example, if I gave a robot and I got it to stand farther away and set up out of the toe, the robot would hit out of a toe. Whereas if I get 100 golfers to do that, actually only about 30, 30% of them hit it more from the toe. <laughs> it's really, really strange. So I've got all these different, based on experience, coaching experience, I know how different variables will influence certain things. But on that point, we're, we'll probably finish with this if you've got time. I had someone asked, and this is a really important question, I asked Sasha this as well. Do you ever have a student just open or close the face at address and then grip? And if not, why not? Or if so, why? What are your thoughts on that, Shane? So just open the face. If they're missing left, just open the face address and then grip.
2: Yeah. So I try to do that as little as possible, personally. And the reason why is because if you are going to deviate the club face, you are not only just changing the face angle at address, you are changing where the weight of the club now sits in your set of position, which therefore means when I take the club back, I will feel the weight of the club in a very different position as it's going up. And I might alter other variables at the same time. Have you ever tried to take a driver and open the club face at address? How weird and uncomfortable does that feel compared to when it's sitting square? Obviously, it's a lot easier to do on a wedge than it is on a driver. The heads are different shapes, they're different sizes, different weights. Right away, because the clubs are different sizes and weights through your bag, you're not going to have the exact same feel through the bag, even if you're changing the club face angle and address the exact same amount. So I find that to be too inconsistent for most people that I haven't seen enough good results doing that method with them to commit to continuing to want to do that method with players. It doesn't mean it can't be done. It just means that I find, for the especially for the average weekend golfer, there are so many other alternatives that I find would be more efficient for them long term that I wouldn't likely go that round unless someone absolutely necessary as like a last ditch effort, like as a trump card. But that's not really within my game plan unless it's like you have no other options with someone. That's my personal experience.
0: So when I asked Sasho that, I, I said to him, if you had a robot, so the ping robot, and you just set it up with an open face and then got it to make the same swing, so say two degrees more open address, what would happen? Would the face be presented more open? And he said, yeah, maybe not quite as much as what you set it at because it changes the moment of inertia throughout the swing, changes certain variables that are beyond my understanding. But he said it can definitely be an option. And I said, well, why don't we use that more often with golfers? If it's that easy, just open or close the face address, then grip. And, you know, he said that there can be perception issues as well. So that could be the perception of how the club is swinging throughout the swing. It does feel different, definitely. The weight of the club feels different. And even just the act of having or the the position of the club at address being more open or closed can affect maybe how someone's swing direction is or where their perception of the target is. So it is a tool that I use, I will be honest. I use it in my own game. If I'm missing left, I will happily just open that face at address and grip it. In cases where the perception might be adjusted, I found a little work around as to, if you're missing left, open the face, then grip, and then just square it back up again. It's, it's a roundabout way of taking a weaker grip. But it, for some people, it feels like it's the same grip. I've basically cheated the system. Because some people, you can say, right, weaken your grip, and they're like, oh my god, this feels horrible. Whereas when you do that, open the face, then grip, then square it up method they feel like they've got the same grip, Yeah, you've just cheated the system and given them a weaker grip. So uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It is, like I said, it's a tool that I do use as an instructor, especially if I don't want to vary too many other impact variables. This can be a good way. Whereas, as we said, changing wrist angles is going to affect things like loft and low point. So yeah, it's just an interesting one to consider. No right answers.
2: Th- no, no right answers. I will say this. I've had countless tour players who come to me With the club face either shut in their setup or open in their setup, usually better players, you tend to see this more than the recreational golfer. I never will touch it. Like, I will go out of my way not to, only because that player got to that skill level, exactly like Adam's saying, with the perception of what they're looking at and how that feels and how their alignment is based on that. That if you start to alter their club face, you can not only just mess with their swing mechanics, you can mess with their psyche now of where they think they're aiming and how they're swinging the club and everything can kind of either fall apart or maybe sometimes get better. But it's just there's too big of a risk involved that I would go a different route with it. So I've had guys who come to me and their seven irons, five degrees shut at their setup. I've had guys who come to me and it's open. I'll usually let it be and not really try to alter it too much and go different ways with the golf swing.
0: Yeah, that's huge. And that's something Sasho mentioned to, to me as well. He said that he's measured tall players as closed as like six degrees and as open as, as about six degrees, if I'm quoting him correctly. That's I mean, wild. Well, it doesn't sound yeah, like yeah. a lot, but we know from launch monitors, you know, if you're six degrees open with a driver, oh what is it? God, about 12 yards for every yeah. degree. So that's like 70, 72 yards offline. But obviously they're not presenting it back there. They might set up open and then throughout the swing dynamic dynamics, they're going to change it. But it's important for people to understand that tour players don't do everything textbook or air quotes the right way. They do things that make it functional. And sometimes that may veer from the textbook in in a horrible way. Like Tiger with a putter was, what, three degrees open? That would miss the hole at, at what, three feet or so, five feet, definitely. Definitely at 10 feet. I know it's one degree at 10 feet will miss a hole. So Tiger, but he would set up three degrees open and return it in a functional position and there are plenty of tall players who are doing that out there yet so many amateurs are boxed into this idea that i have to do everything perfect and they've got all these laser liners to make that club face perfectly square address as they're slicing the heck out of it so sometimes going out of the box can make things easier
1: that's why i hate the word square I really don't yeah. like the word square in golf. Because yeah, square
2: to a player might be seven degrees shut in the setup. Like, we don't know.
1: Exactly. Like yeah. I like to think of open, open, open because I need that club face open. <laughs> right. That works for me. And this
2: player, by the way, I'm willing to bet that I was working with, I no longer work with him, but I'm willing to bet he was probably on the end of that spectrum of like six degrees shut. Like his club face looked like he was going to miss the bunkers left of the green <laughs> when he was setting up to it.
1: We gotta do a separate episode with well, you'll have to keep it anonymous, but your your stories from the tour.
2: Oh, we could do that. I mean I got a bunch.
1: You were at the US Open recently. I know you spent the week there, right?
2: Yeah, and I got some funny stories of that week too. I don't think I'd be able to name drop too much, to be honest with some of the shit I
1: saw, but <sighs> I think it'd be cool to understand just like how just to see how tour players prep and stuff like that and just hear, you know, it, even idiosyncrasies like that.
2: I'll give you one story and then we can kind of end it there. A guy who hits the ball, and I think the recreational golfer can relate to this a lot. We did three practice rounds on Monday, on Tuesday, and on Wednesday with three different golfers. So we experienced nine different golfers who were competing in the tournament outside of the player I was working with. Okay. I saw guys who hit the ball so poorly, you would have thought they were shooting 90 the first day of the tournament. And they hit it like, like, excuse my language, absolute dog shit. (laughs) during the practice round. And some of these guys made the cut comfortably. And I saw a guy stripe it, including the guy that I work with who hit 14, 15, and like 13 greens during the practice rounds and actually ended up missing the cut. So when you're standing there on the driving range and you're not hitting your best, either the day before your round of golf or even the day up sometimes, that doesn't always equate to what your performance is going to be like on the golf course, literally two hours later or half an hour later or the next day. So try not to obsess so much over this idea that you need to have a perfect practice session in order to deliver good results in the golf course, because they are just two different animals entirely.
1: Uh, Adam and I did an episode on warming up where we kind of discussed that and just being kind of somewhat neutral to the results and, and focusing on the task and getting your body ready. There was a good quote from Tiger from the Masters. But yeah, it's it's it is a wild, crazy game. And I I've given up trying to interpret or extrapolate results from like my play prior to a tournament or the day of around how I'm hitting it on the range. Like it just I've I've had rounds where I'm like I played awesome, and and on the range, I was shanking it before one tournament. You just don't know. It's a crazy game. But that's funny to hear that players at the U.S. Open were (laughs) were clanking it around and then made the cut. That's kind of wild.
2: Well, there's one player in particular. He maybe hit like four greens during our practice round. Like He was missing everything. He hit two shanks during our practice round. The guy shot like 69-70 two or 73 and made the cut like pretty comfortably
0: incredible that big greens he's missing yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> we'll definitely have to do a separate episode on that all right i'm sure you have 400 online lessons to get to so we're going to let you go there thanks for your time where can everyone find you online
2: so my instagram and twitter is schkeen golf don't ask me where schkeen came from it's a came <laughs> from years ago that just stuck s-h-k-e-e-n golf or just search my first name, you'll pretty much find me anywhere. I can't imagine there's too many Shaheens in the golf industry. So,
1: Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. Appreciate all the insights. I actually, I hope people learned a lot. I learned a lot because I don't really know much about this topic. So thanks for all the insights. Adam, where can everyone find you?
0: If you want to find out more information on matchups that go beyond grip matchups as well, Next Level Golf is my program. So that's adamyounggolf.com. And then forward slash NLG. And John, I hear you've got a little little book out that's doing quite well at the moment, right?
1: Yeah, if you don't want to hear a word, literally not one word in my book about grip technique. (laughs) I don't even think the word's in there. But if you're interested in other topics on how to get better at golf, you can check out the four foundations of golf, which is available on Amazon, Apple and some other markets. And you can always find me at practical-golf.com. Thanks for everyone listening and their feedback, and we will see you next week with a new episode.